Hello, and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9 a.m. or for our more traditional service at 11 a.m. We also stream full services live on our Facebook page. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. We've been on this doctrinal journey the last few Sundays as we go over what the articles of religion are contained in our United Methodist Book of Discipline. This is not only our history book, but it's also our practical polity book, but most importantly, it's our doctrinal book. So it talks about what is our theology and what are our beliefs, and our articles of religion cannot be changed. So under our Section 3 Restrictive Rules, Paragraph 17, Article 1 says this, the General Conference, which is that global body that is made up half of clergy and half of laity that meet every four years, shall not revoke, alter, or change our Articles of Religion or establish any new standards or rules of doctrine contrary to our present existing and established standards of doctrine. So these articles are unchangeable. We opened up with talking about the Trinity. The Trinity is not going away and cannot go away. Our canon is closed in our Bible. It consists of the 66 books that are the Protestant standard, the Old Testament, and the New. And we've talked about sin. Sin is a reality. We cannot get rid of sin. Well, we can't. Jesus can. But it's not going anywhere, our concept that we need to be saved from our sinfulness. And then today we're going to talk about the sacraments on a day when we get to partake in a sacrament, it's a perfect time to talk about the sacraments. In the United Methodist Church, we have two sacraments, and those, of course, are undergirded by our Articles of Religion. So before I read to you parts of these, we'll be here all day if I read you all of them, but as I read you several parts of the four that deal specifically with the sacraments, I want to remind you that these come from a time when all English was masculine in form, and it comes from a time where it's going to read much more Old English than it does our common English current vernacular. So just to be prepared for those. It says in Article 16 of the Sacraments, the sacraments ordained of Christ are not only badges or tokens of Christian men's profession, but rather they are certain signs of grace and God's goodwill toward us, by which he doth work invisibly in us, and doth not only quicken, but also strengthen and confirm our faith in him. There are two sacraments ordained of Christ our Lord in the gospel. That is to say, baptism and the supper of the Lord. It goes on to talk about five other sacraments that are celebrated in the Roman Catholic tradition. And as I mentioned last week, they were a little salty about no longer being Roman Catholic. And so we're just not going to go there today. We're just going to kind of revel in the grace side of it. Um, It does say that the sacraments are not ordained of Christ to be gazed upon or to be carried about, but that we should duly use them and in such a way as to only worthily receive the same, that they have the wholesome effect or operation, but that they receive them unworthily, purchase to themselves condemnation, as St. Paul says. You should do it with with a desire to receive God's grace. So Article uh, 17 is of baptism. Baptism is not only a sign of profession and a mark of difference whereby Christians are distinguished from others that are not baptized, but it is also a sign of regeneration or the new birth The baptism of young children is to be retained in the church. Article 18 is of the Lord's Supper. It says the supper of the Lord is not only a sign of the love that Christians ought to have among themselves, one to another, 
but rather is a sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death, insomuch that as to rightly, worthily, and with the same faith receive the same, the bread which we break is a partaking of the body of Christ, and likewise the cup of blessing is a partaking of the blood of Christ. Goes on to talk a little bit about transubstantiation, which is the theological underpinning in the Roman Catholic Church of what's happening at the table. I won't read that. But it says that the body of Christ is given, taken, and eaten in the supper only after a heavenly and spiritual manner. And the means whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten in the supper is faith. It's an act of our faith. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper was not by Christ's ordinance reserved, carried about, lifted up, or worshipped, but instead this is a way that we engage with Jesus Christ. And then finally, Article 19 is of both kinds. It says, The cup of the Lord is not to be denied to the lay people, for both the parts of the Lord's Supper by Christ's ordinance and commandment ought to be administered to all Christians alike. As there was a time when only the clergy got to receive the wine and the cup, and laity only got the bread, and clergy got to take both. But our church will always offer you both. We can't just go, you only get the bread. If there's not wine in there anyway, why would I reserve it only for myself? We should all be sharing in the same cup and the same bread. And so our book of discipline is letting us know we have two sacraments, and we have them because they are not only recorded in the scriptures, but they were done by Jesus himself. He received baptism, and he ordained the first celebration of Holy Communion. And so we celebrate those. There are other denominations, uh, not just Roman Catholic, but there are other denominations that have more sacraments than we currently have. But we have these two. Now, that's not to say that they're wrong because they have more or that some are wrong because they have none. Not every Christian church has sacraments. But these are ours, and this is how we understand that God is giving us, to quote you directly from our book of discipline, this is an outward, visible, and tangible sign of the inward grace of God. So even though you can feel and you can see, and if I do it right, you can hear the baptism, even though you can see and taste and feel for yourselves Holy Communion, what's really happening is internally. Internally, God's grace is at work within us. And so those things can never be denied to you. Those things are a fundamental part of who we are as United Methodists. And as I said, they're not going anywhere. Nobody's going to be getting rid of those. And you'll notice that um, in kind of the snarky way that only the Anglican Church can do, it stipulates that we are not getting rid of baptism of infants and children. Now, baptizing infants and children has been a long-term part of not only the Wesleyan Methodist tradition, but also from the traditions from which we come. We were originally Anglicans, the Church of England, who of course are descended from the Roman Catholic Church, and they've been baptizing infants and children, and we continue to baptize them. We also baptize youth and adults, and the most vintage among us, everyone is eligible to receive baptism. And so everyone is also eligible to receive Holy Communion. We believe in the Methodist Church that these are open sacraments, which means that they are available to you. You want to receive, then it is our joy to hand you these gifts that Christ has consecrated for us. If you want to be baptized, it is our joy to do that with you and for you. And so we do not have to worry about whether there is some kind of metric or rubric that you must meet in order to receive these. Other denominations have different standards and practices. And if you've ever been to a Christian worship service or been a part of a church where not everyone can take communion, then you know that sometimes one of the best things is when you say the table is open and if you want to come, you are welcome here. And that's one of the things that I love about communion. I don't have to try to remember if you're a member 
or I don't have to try to remember if you're a tither. I don't have to try to remember those things. You come here and you get to receive and God's grace is for you. And that's one of the beautiful things about our understanding of the sacraments in the Methodist Church. But we also have this understanding that these sacraments are part of our expression of our faith. Doesn't mean that if you don't get baptized and you don't take communion that you have no faith. But they help to actually undergird and encourage our faith. John Wesley, one of the original founding voices and presence in Methodism and Wesleyanism, believed that you should have communion as often as you can. So he was an Anglican priest. They celebrated it every single Sunday. And as we are getting ready as a nation to celebrate our Independence Day in a couple of days, it caused great inner dissonance in John Wesley to think that all of those incredible American colonists were suddenly going to be cut off from this means of experiencing God's grace. It was so distressing to him that he, in extremis, laid hands and ordained Thomas Koch and Francis Asbury that they would come over to the colonies and stay here and proceed to itinerate, travel around to Christian communities and ensure that they have access to Holy Communion, also baptism but especially Holy Communion. And so this is, this is really the beginning of Methodism in this country, is that our revolution from the British Empire, and especially the monarchy, is what gives rise to our ability to continue to have open access to the sacraments. It was John Wesley's intention that new communities would continue this practice, being able to do this. Now, John Wesley would be slightly disappointed that we only take communion on the first Sunday of the month, but none of us meet John Wesley standards for anything anyway, so that's okay. But there are other Christian denominations that take it even less than that. In fact, there are still United Methodist churches that only take it quarterly. And so if you've ever thought to yourself, I wish we could take communion more, then you should be one a part of our altar guild and you can make that happen. Because there's actually a lot that goes into making communion happen, right? It doesn't just mysteriously appear on the Lord's table over here. There's some work that goes into it. And it is a, an honor to be able to partake in at any time. But the good news is that if you had something happen, let's say you had some kind of test that was coming up and you wanted to undergird your faith and your presence in that moment, you can call me and say, I would like to take communion. And then I would ensure that you could have communion. Now, all of our sacraments, both of them, are meant to be communal. So even though I have done private baptisms, which means it's only the person being baptized in their family, not in a worship service, I did that in COVID several times, and in other times when there were extenuating circumstances, it's meant to be done in a worship service with the body of Christ. You know that when we do a baptism here at Crozet United Methodist Church, there's a congregational response because the congregation, the body of Christ, the family of faith is part of what is happening in the sacrament. The same is true in Holy Communion. It's meant to be done in community. It's meant to be done in worship. And of course, there are times where we need to do it outside of that, but it can't be done just by myself. I can't celebrate communion by myself and I can't give you communion and not partake in it with you. It's meant to be communal. And so as long as there are two of us gathered in Christ's name, we can partake in the sacrament, but it's meant to be done here. That's why there's a congregational prayer for the confession and pardon. That's why we have a response to what's happening together here, because not only are we asking for forgiveness and confessing our individual sins, but we are confessing that the church is not gone on to perfection. The church, not only Crozet United Methodist Church, not only the United Methodist Church denomination, but Christianity Universal has not gone on to perfection. 
How do we know this? Have you seen the news? Does this feel like 100% of the time God's kingdom on earth? Then we're not done. We have work to do. And so it's really important for us to be able to do this. The early Christians whom Paul is talking to in Corinth were practicing Holy Communion. And they were doing it because not only had Christ told them to do it, and not only had the original apostles partaken in it, but they believed that it brought the community together. That it was a time where they gathered together for that common meal and they celebrated it. But they also believed that something was happening. And perhaps this is one of the greatest things about Methodism, is that as I sit on practice of ministry for the Board of Ordained Ministry, one of the greatest things is that when we ask people, so what is happening in the sacrament of Holy Communion? And they go, I don't know. They're right. Because we don't believe that we know exactly what is happening here. All we know is this, that when we call upon the Holy Spirit and God through God's work to transform those elements, that we who take them might be transformed, God does it. How does God do it? We don't know. Now, it could be transubstantiation, which is the Roman Catholic and truly the, the Anglican understanding originally, was that when those are transformed, when the invocation, or to use the liturgical word, the epiclesis, happens, what, what goes on here is that the Holy Spirit is transforming those elements, and their understanding is that they stop being bread and wine, and they actually become the body and literally the blood of Christ. That's transubstantiation. And then there's consubstantiation that our Lutheran siblings in Christ believe in practice, which means that they don't think that the bread and the wine go away, as transubstantiation says. They believe that it's con with, that you have the body and the bread, the blood and the cup. And so that might be true. We don't know. We also know that it's not Zwingliism or memorialism, which is there's nothing happening here. It's just a remembrance. It's just a memorial. Nothing is happening. We as Methodists believe that when you call upon God, God shows up. When you ask God to transform you and transform these elements, God does it. How? We don't know. And so it's kind of wonderful to have that freedom in a religion that says you don't have to have all the right answers. All you have to have is a desire to encounter Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful way to think of the sacraments. You don't have to memorize all those substantiations of which there could be multiple iterations coming, who knows. But here, we call it a holy mystery, and that's what it is. Now, in baptism, as I or any other clergy are pouring out the water on the infant, the child, the teenager, or the adult, when that water is being poured out, if you could put on the lens of Christ, you would see that God is pouring out a piece of God's self, the Holy Spirit, onto that person, and that it stays, it indwells, just as after you consume the elements of Holy Communion, it becomes part of you. Your body metabolizes those elements, and they are now part of who you are. If you could see, with the lens of Christ, you could see that happening. Instead, because we can't always see with the lens of Christ, we have been given these two gifts that we might see the water and know of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, that we might taste the bread and the cup and taste God's grace for ourselves. So the sacraments aren't going anywhere. They are here. In fact, you would have to pry them out of every elder's hands because one of the greatest things that you hear as people are getting licensed for ministry or they're progressing through the ordination is they're like, I cannot wait to do communion. And it's true. 
It's exciting. It's wonderful. In fact, I've been critiqued before. It's like, you're too happy in communion. <laughs> I'm too happy in communion? There's a hymn. It's always great when you cite the hymnal. There's a hymn that says, I come with joy to meet my Lord, forgiven, loved, and free. Right? That's what it is. And if I had told Gary, we'd be singing it. But here's what happened. So my friend was officiating communion at annual conference a couple weeks ago. Every single day, they offer communion at 7 a.m. That's early, right? 7 a.m. Now, I didn't go most days, but one day my friend was officiating, and I wanted to, like, back her up and show her some support. And you never know how many people are actually going to show up at 7 a.m. anyway. So I went over there to see her, and I'm standing in the back, and she's, uh, going through the, the liturgy of uh, service of word and table, also known as our liturgy for communion, and she's going through it, and it comes time to get up and receive the elements, and I'm like, yes, let's go, and I was like, we should be singing, I come with joy, and then I looked around, and I'm like, but we don't, <laughs> why are we not joyful, is it 7 a.m., have you not had enough transformed holy water, also known as coffee, what's wrong, but you should, you should come with joy, and then at our 9 o'clock worship service, we had a whole plethora of little girls. And one of them, when, we, when I extended the invitation to come as you feel ready and led, one of them goes, I want to be first! <laughs> and all, everybody who was in the aisle was like, okay, we're going to let her go. And she came down first, and then one of our other little girls came back a little late from children's worship, and she came in and she met her mom like right here, and she's like, I made this, and I made this, and this was great. And then she turns around and she goes, do I get communion? I was like, yes, you do. And I looked over, and she was double-fisting Jesus. She had two loaves of bread, like right here. And that exuberance, that joy, is acceptable. Now, maybe you are wrestling with your sinfulness. Maybe you are wrestling with difficult decisions. That's fine. But there should be a part of us that is excited to come here. And other Christian faiths and other Christian denominations, they come at it differently. I mean, for some, it's a very somber and solemn occasion. But... I'm always so excited that this is one place where you leave here and you are justified. You can stand upright because God said so. You don't have to please anybody else to come over here and find salvation. It's yours because God gives it to you. And unlike human beings, God keeps offering the invitation. You want to be baptized? You can. You don't have to. John Wesley pre preached and taught that you do not have to be baptized. It's not sufficient or necessary because there are a whole lot of people that lived before Jesus got baptized. So that's not the only way that you can receive God's grace. Now, it's a fantastic thing. Who wouldn't want the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? But you don't have to have it to be saved. God can still give you grace through other means. And then you don't have to take communion. It's a gift. It's an invitation. It's offered to you repeatedly, at least the first Sunday of every month in this church. And you get the opportunity to take it. And in Methodism, if you don't get baptized or you don't take communion one time, you can still come back again. Or if you're not baptized, you can take communion. We don't have the rigidity that some other denominations have. For instance, in the Roman Catholic tradition, there are seven sacraments, and they must be done in a specific order. So by the time you are six weeks of age in the Roman Catholic tradition, you are to be baptized. By the time you are six weeks. Most parents aren't trying to take infants that young out in public anymore. But that's how it was written, especially since there was a high mortality rate over the course of the time of the Roman Catholic Church, especially during periods in, in Europe, that it was important to get your child baptized because that's how you started to address the sinfulness, especially the concept that they have of original sin where you've inherited Adam's guilt. And so you got baptized, 
And then right about six years old, you had your first confession, and then you took Holy Communion for the first time. Those are three. And then you would be confirmed when you were a little older, probably at around 12, you'd be confirmed. That's considered a sacrament in the Roman Catholic tradition. Then you have divergence. Five and six are not available to everybody. One is marriage. Marriage is a sacrament in the Roman Catholic tradition. And then you have ordination, which is a sacrament in their tradition as well. Neither of those are considered a sacrament because not everybody will get married. Not everybody will get ordained. Jesus didn't get married. He didn't do that by precept and example. So we only have the things that are recorded in the Gospels and that Jesus did and then told us to do. That's what we have. Now, it's perfectly fine. I mean, it's lovely that they think ordination is a sacrament. That's kind of neat. I would like that. But it's not about me. It's instead, it's about what God is giving all of us equal access to. And the last one you've probably heard is last rites, but it's actually called extreme unction. It's the final confession and the final taking of the Eucharist. Now, in the Roman Catholic tradition, if you skip the sacrament, you are in trouble. If you skip a sacrament in the Roman Catholic Church, for instance, if you get married outside of the church, you have not received that sacrament, you're not supposed to receive communion anymore. We don't have that understanding in Methodism. If you, for many years, stop taking communion and you show up one day and you want to take communion, here you go. If you've lived 80 years in this world and suddenly you decide you want to be baptized, here you go. That, there's no right way or wrong way. There's no prescribed order that you have to do it. In fact, nowadays, in my 15 years of ministry, I have found that more people first come to the church through, through communion. It's also known as a converting ordinance because Jesus told us to do it, and then you do it, and all of a sudden, you have this incredible, profound encounter. And if you've ever come to have communion and you have that, like, that strange warming of the heart or that incredible sense that you have truly been freed, that lightness that comes from knowing that as your body is tasting God's grace, that it is yours. A lot of people will have communion long before they're baptized nowadays. And that's okay by Methodist standards. That's allowed. And God keeps saying, would you like it? Would you like it? Now, people were not so much like that. Have you ever had somebody, maybe it was in your family or somebody in your friend circle, where you keep inviting them to things, keep inviting them to come do things, and they're like, oh, you know, I'm really busy, or no, you know, not this week. Or, and eventually you just stop asking because you're like, they're never going to come anyway. Why do I keep asking? Fortunately, God is not like us. You can tell God no three million times, and God is still going to offer you grace. And that is what is beautiful about the sacraments in the Methodist tradition, is that they are yours. I am not the gatekeeper. No clergy is. If you want it, it is yours. That's why we practice open table, which means that it's available. Are you baptized? Doesn't matter. Are you a church member? Doesn't matter. Are you a member of this Methodist church? Doesn't matter. You want to taste God's grace? Do you want to encounter Jesus Christ? Welcome. That's the difference. And so the sacraments are a really important way for us to engage with our faith. And John Wesley believed that if you start taking communion, that it's actually going to help you, not just in your faith, but in who you are, because you're nourishing your faith life. And if you've been baptized, you're actually nourishing that peace of God's self that resides within you, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that's what it was meant to be. It was meant to be that, a gift. It's not a requirement. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. And if we treat it like that, then it's powerful and profound. And then it gives us what we need in order to go back out into the to world. The little girl who had two pieces of God's <laughs> communion bread today, who came in and was like, um, where is my communion? She got baptized just the other Sunday. And I was like, apparently she got a double portion of that Holy Spirit because she was boldly asking for what she wanted. 
She was like, that's what I need. But then I had an adult come up, and they did what plenty of people have done. They dropped the piece of bread, not in the cup, but on the ground. And you know how you have that, that moment, I see it in your faces every now and then, where you're like, oh, I've defiled Jesus. Right? And it was like, it's okay, here's another piece of bread. Right? Here you go, another piece of bread, not a problem. We keep rolling. Afterwards, the person comes up to me in the back and is like, I dropped Jesus, do I need to go clean it up? I'm like, no, we already picked it up, it's good. <laughs> it's all right, it's okay, it's okay, right? It's a joyful thing, it's not something to be afraid of. And that's what's so beautiful. Here I am preaching about, I come with joy. And I officiated a wedding one time between um, a Episcopalian woman, so it was in her church with her clergy, and a United Methodist man, who's actually a part of our church. And so we officiated, but I was at that church, so I was playing the associate pastor, which I did for eight years, so I had good practice. And so I was like, you take the lead. And so this person is doing, the clergy person from the Episcopal church is doing the communion liturgy, and it's all very, very somber and very serious and okay. And then it comes time to like, give out the elements. And I'm like, all right. So the people are coming down, I'm like, the body of Christ broken for you. And they're like, what is wrong with you? Why are you so happy? Why are you doing this? And they're like, I don't know what's wrong with her. Okay, let's just go kneel over here. And you realize that when you believe that God's grace is yours, when you believe that God's grace is for others, you're excited. You're joyful. Like, yes, it's my honor to give you this piece of bread. It's my honor to give you the opportunity to experience God's grace. And I'm excited about it. And maybe I spent too much time singing I Come With Joy to Meet My Lord when I was a kid. Who knows? Although the other first, the opening hymn, we sang that a lot too, and that always sounds like more somber, right? Like on our knees. But you can be joyful on your knees. You can be joyful anywhere. So it's okay to come down and be smiling. It's okay to be excited. It's okay to want two pieces of Jesus. It's okay. Because this isn't about us. It's about God being for us. And that is joyful. God is for you. You can make everybody on earth angry, and God is still for you. You can make everybody hate you, and God still loves you. Loves you more than people hate you. And that's what we get to experience in communion. That's who we are. So if you have the opportunity to take a sacrament, I hope you will. But if you don't, God still loves you, and we will too. Now, Jesus did a wonderful thing by making it only two sacraments, right? There's, it's not too complicated, or it doesn't get lost in the mixture of things. It's a beautiful thing. But Jesus is also about radical simplification, right? There's 613 commandments in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then it's reiterated again in Deuteronomy. 613 commandments. Could you imagine memorizing that many? We have to make a song just so that we can remember the 50 states of the United States of America. Could you imagine singing a song of 613 mitzvot? Probably not. And then Jesus, who loves you and is trying to make grace accessible for you, says 613 to two, two commandments. Love your God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now he'll sneak a third one in there on the eve of his betrayal, according to the gospel account of John, where he says, oh, wait, and you must love others as I love you. He'll sneak that other one in there, but that's another day. And so Jesus is trying to give us an accessible means to come to the table, to come and experience God's hospitality and love and forgiveness and grace. And you want to talk about liberation? That is coming to the table and knowing that all of your mistakes, your sin, your death, 
are gone. Your shackles have been destroyed, not just unlocked, destroyed. You have nothing holding you back anymore because God has set you free. And if that doesn't bring joy to you, I don't know what will. You are liberated, my siblings in Christ. You are free. And because of that, you have been called to set others free. And that's why, until Jesus Christ comes back and tells us to stop, we're going to keep offering baptism and Holy Communion to anyone and everyone. And may you be part of that invitation. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.